Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. David Shirazi twice. I hope you enjoy our first segment, how we talk about sleep and our physiological health and how all of this can really impact our facial development and our oral health. And then I asked him to come back because we were starting to talk towards the end of our first segment about pediatrics and pediatric oral facial development. And I wanted him to have a little bit more time to explain that. So I hope you enjoy these two parts. He's a wealth of knowledge. She has so much training and expertise to share with us and a big heart as well. So please enjoy my two uh, podcasts with Dr. David Shirazi. Welcome, Dr. Shirazi. I'm really excited for you to be on the podcast today. Oh, it's such an exciting time for me to be here with you. Oh, well, your work is so important, and I really haven't had anybody on the podcast speak specifically about, you know, the whole role of the bite and how that can really affect um, sleep and our brain function and our lymphatic system. And uh, to be honest, this is one of the most important things I think that we can do with patients, but my recommendations and referrals can be limited because it depends really on uh, the the patient's uh, resources with uh, within their community and who they have access to. So I'm really yeah. excited to educate people about your work, what you do, how impactful it is. And so people can not only come find you, but also, um, you know, seek this type of work within their community if they don't live in Southern California. So I'm, I'm really excited for you to be here. Wonderful. I'm so excited to share info. Oh, well, why don't we just dive in and just share a little bit about your background? I know you have a unique background in that you're not only a dentist, but you're also, you know, you have degrees in acupuncture and oriental medicine. So can you just share a little bit about your background and how you got into all this? Okay. Yeah. I, I always joke that I got into this, uh, this profession chose me rather than I chose before. <laughs> so, um, my mom's a dentist. Um, so I kind of grew up loving dentistry, just working with my hands and helping people and just they're, cause they're wide awake while you're like working on them. So it, it was really mm-hmm. in, in challenging. And, um, actually what happened was when I was 18, I had a cold and, you know, I have a neurotic Jewish mother and she's like, go to the doctor. And the doctor would like, wanted to prescribe antibiotic, like penicillin. And I said, well, there's problems in my nose, right? He goes, yeah. I said, well, if the problem's in my nose, um, uh, isn't it a virus? He goes, yeah, probably. I go, Why are you giving me the antibiotic for the virus? And he was, this is, I was 18, so this is almost 30 years ago. He said, well, the antibiotic will focus on the bugs in your system so that your immune system can focus on the virus. Okay. I told my mom, and, you know, she's in that age group where you just believe whatever your doctor tells you. You don't even question it. So she she said to take it. I took it. I got better. Um, I was a bit of a nerd, so I went ahead to the library. Remember those things? I went to the library, and I looked it up. And even back then, we knew that you shouldn't give an antibiotic for viral conditions. So I just remember thinking, and everyone in my family is a doctor or dentist. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember thinking to myself, I said, okay, well, when I become a dentist, I want to learn something more holistic so that when I have a family, I can treat them more holistically. Mm-hmm. And so um, I went to dental school. And by the time I got to dental school, I studied Shaolin martial arts. And my instructor uh, really encouraged me to study acupuncture and Chinese medicine. So um, right after dental school, I came back um, to L.A. and I went to SAMRA, which is the first accredited uh, oriental medicine and acupuncture and herb school. And I loved it. It was amazing. And uh, like I said, I only did it because I did it for myself. I wasn't 
planning on practicing that. So when I came out, I was doing about 200 hours of continuing education a year just on the dental side while getting my master's in Chinese medicine. So then I was doing orthodontics, and I was finding that what we call the traditional term is early interceptive orthodontics or what I would call functional orthodontics. Um, we found that you can not only cure but prevent future problems. Like you can actually, the only time you can non-surgically cure sleep apnea in a growing child is with functional orthodontics. Mm -hmm. There's literally no other cure that we know of. Um, and of course, you can resolve TMJ problems, craniofacial deformities, the bite, as you said, get the bite, what we call a skeletal class one and a dental class one. Um, and as I was learning this, I thought, well, great, I, you know, I'm helping out all these kids. We were just learning about sleep apnea back then, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right, 20 years ago, and sleep apnea was very, very new. Um, and in, it seems like in every profession, it's like we wait, like first we do males, then females, then children, right? So they were like the last ones to be studied. And what we found was children were the most susceptible to sleep disorders because we have two very important stages in our sleep. One is called delta and one is REM. I'm sure you've heard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, delta, it's a good review. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, delta, it almost 100% of the growth hormone that we'll ever have is from that one stage of sleep. Mm -hmm. It's over 90%. So in, a, in, in adults, it makes up about a quarter of our sleep. In a child, in a growing child, it makes up about half. Right? And so with REM, we need REM for mental, emotional processing, memory. Um, we, as you know, we have a lymphatic system in our brains, to, and that it's usually in that stage where we're cleaning out our brain with our lymphatic system and our and our uh, CNS. And because a child's growing brain is 50% delta and 50% REM, roughly speaking, whenever they have an interruption in their sleep from, let's say, breathing, it could be a barking dog as well, but, it, it, but if it's mouth breathing or choking or whatever it is, we're affecting those really important stages of sleep. To the tune that a young enough child if they have one interruption per hour, that's considered severe apnea. In adults, usually we, we count it as you have to have over, for an adult male um, or female past um, menopause, we say if you have an AHI over 30 uh, an hour, you're in the severe category. And even if you have five or less per hour, it's considered within normal limits, but not so much with a child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you, um, you know, these are, and I don't want to interrupt because this is all such great information and a big part of our work is um, really trying to help people with their sleep. And, if, you know, when we're treating chronic illness, it's, you know, the chicken or the egg, right? You know, we want to get them sleeping. But of course, a lot of why they are in our office um, is disruptive to their sleep. And so um, how do people... 
um, you know, how do people start identifying, you know, uh, whether it's their child or themselves that they even have um, a, you know, impairment or an imbalance in one of the phases of sleep, um, or if they even have as far as sleep apnea, how do you walk people through a diagnosis? Right. So um, the, the very best, and in my opinion, only proper way to really know and be specific is with a sleep study. And there's two kinds of sleep study. There's an in-lab and then there's an at-home, right? I have a sleep lab with three beds and we, we measure everything from their end tidal CO2 to their brain waves to their heart rate variability down to movements in their life. And we, there is more data in one night of sleep that we collect for the patient than there is in any comprehensive blood lab work. It is that detailed. Um, in a home sleep study, we're predominantly measuring between four to six uh, ranges of measurement from blood oxygen, sleeping position, apnea, snoring, and et cetera. And, and from that, we sort of infer um, if they're getting all the stages that they, that they need. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's great. So you actually have, um, you can do a sleep study at your clinic. So you're set up to do that? I am. I'm a fully oh. sleep lab as well. Oh, oh, how wonderful. Yeah, I know there's, um, you know, half the battle I, I've known of the in-house uh, or, you know, that at home. But then again, again, there's so much more comprehensive information, as you mentioned, when you can do more in a clinical setting. But it's not, you know, the most comfortable night's sleep um, at times, but um, you not being in a can you know the traditional conventional um, sleep study? Do you feel like people are more comfortable going through that process in in your office? So um, my office is a bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, most sleep labs, it kind of looks like you're staying at a Motel Six, <laughs> or you look like you're in a hospital gurney. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, awesome. So mm-hmm. My one the the website is sleepcanejo.com. Mm-hmm. My my beds are like Tempur-Pedic type of beds. And the rooms are big. Uh, it looks like the Four Seasons. Mm-hmm. I only have three beds, mm-hmm. but but it it's much more comfortable. But I, I'm very open and upfront with my patients about that because have, being covered from head to toe with leads um, doesn't mean you're going to have a normal night's sleep, right? And our units, the ones that we have, are the best in the world in that they're Bluetooth. So. The other in-lab studies, you're covered head-to-toe with these leads, but then you're attached to the head box that's on the nightstand. Mm-hmm. So you're very much forced to sleep on your back mm-hmm. or sleep very close to the edge of the bed, right? Mm-hmm. Ours, the head box is on your shoulder, like like almost like a seatbelt collar, right? And you can roll around in your sleep. You can get up, go to the bathroom, come back. Everything is under control. Mm-hmm. Every, every, everything is, is very, very easy. Um, but even then, it's still like not like a normal night's sleep. So I, I tell my patients right from the get-go, I go, okay, when you um, go to a hotel, like when you're going on vacation for like a week or a few days, are you so tired that – the first night your head hits that pillow, you're out? Or does it take you a couple of nights to get used to that bedroom and environment before you can sleep comfortably, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If they say, oh, no, it takes me at least three days to get used to that bed, which is quite normal, actually. Um, 
when they say something like that, I tell them, well, we really should do an in-home study because we're going to get more accurate data. And if, But if they say, you know what, Doc, my head hits the pillow and I am out. It doesn't matter where I'm at. I always joke that my wife can sleep on a bed of nails on her face. <laughs> so uh, if that's the case, then I say you should sleep in a, in a lab because we'll get way more parameters, right? But then there's another caveat in that if their chief concern is insomnia, right? If that's just they have difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep, then if that's their only symptom, then an in-home study isn't going to give me the kind of information I need. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The lab study is going to be much more detailed because we're going to see brain waves. Mm-hmm. And so then you get a picture of, you know, where, you know, you see this impaired delta or this impaired REM sleep. And so um, obviously this has a, you know, huge impact on the uh, the body's ability to heal and repair and um, what so what are your steps then, Dr. Shirazi, that you do when you find this kind of impairment in sleep? So how do you how do you start uh, correcting um, people's sleep and improving their sleep? Right. So once we have a diagnosis and we can see that, like, so, for example, if they have apnea, we, we break it down. Is it mild? Is it moderate? Is it severe? Or is it a condition called um respiratory effort-related arousals, right? Mm-hmm. And, or is it some other kind of arousal like periodic limb movement or restless leg, mm-hmm. right? If the, the traditional treatment for someone with like restless leg or periodic limb movement is to actually measure their iron levels mm-hmm. and if, that's, if it's a deficiency in their iron that's causing that. Um, if we're talking snoring or sleep apnea, then we look to see where the range is. So those with mild to moderate, which is the vast majority of people with snoring and sleep apnea, um, my go-to treatment is oral appliances. Mm-hmm. We, we have a device that uses echo sound to locate where the blockage in the airway is as they're sleeping. And once I see, and of course we have a CAT scan in the office, we'll take a look at their sinuses, see if there's any tonsillary issue, hypertrophy, and Assuming that they're a good candidate, then I then I choose an oral appliance that I think is going to match them. And plus, we also got the factor of do they clench their teeth? Do they have a jaw problem? And and then we factor that into the equation as well. If they're very very severe, uh, then we actually do consider um, using some kind of positive airway pressure combined with the oral appliance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But usually the severes we can get around the severe part and make it less severe so that we can work on it on a more mild to moderate level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, no, it sounds like you have so many great tools and it is, yes, of course, important to identify, you know, why I, I see a lot of restless legs, um, you know, in my patients. So I appreciate you seeing the iron deficiency and some of these nutritional deficiencies that may be at play. Um, but really like focusing on, um, you know, with patients not getting essentially enough oxygen, right, at night, um, you know, you have these different modalities to help improve uh, their airway uh, function at night. And so tell us about um, appliances. So I feel like this is still an area that I continue to learn on how to um, direct and guide my patients um, if they need this work. So tell us about um, your approach and the work that you do in this way. 
I'd be delighted to. I'd absolutely be delighted to. But I do want to mention one thing, what you said about the oxygen. Yeah. The oxygen is super important, right? Because obviously when our oxygen gets low, our blood pressure needs to go up just to force more blood so that we have more oxygen getting to our brain and our vital organs. But believe it or not, more important than the reduction in oxygen is the arousals in the brainwaves. When the brain is kicked out of deep sleep into lighter sleep, that causes a huge cascade of issues. That will kick up everyone's inflammatory markers, whichever, whatever measure you're using, CRP, interleukin, w- w- whatever you like, it will kick it up and, it'll ki- and then you'll, you'll do your usual treatment for inflammation and you won't get the results you expect because it's happening in our sleep. We need those stages of sleep so very badly. Mm-hmm. And arousals out of them are, to me, the absolute worst part of apnea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, I, yeah. I appreciate you saying that. Mm-hmm. But moving on to the appliances. So the, the appliances are very tricky. So the range of kinds of appliances varies, right? We've got everything from what's called flat plane splints to full-on sleep apnea appliances that pull your jaw you know, an inch or two forward. So I, I'm not about either of those kinds of appliances. Um, when I'm treating a TMJ or sleep disorder at night, for me, it's all about function. And being able to function uh, with proper nasal breathing and holding your jaw, what we call centric relation, that's going to be my goal. Um, I, we know now that roughly 50% of the time, the reason why we clench our teeth is because of a form of sleep apnea. Those rare as I was talking about, the respiratory effort-related arousals. That is the number one cause of sleep, uh, grinding your teeth at, in your sleep at 50%. The other 50%, we use a very general term called stress. <laughs> and the technical, what they should say instead of stress, is anything that stresses your autonomic nervous system. So, for example, if you have a gluten or dairy allergy and you have a slice of pizza from Costco before bedtime, for sure you're going to clench your teeth that night, even if you're not a clencher. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anything that kicks up, kicks up the autonomic nervous system. Um, during the day, when I make a, for someone that's got chronic uh, TMJ problems, so in my, in my experience, in the literature I've read, uh, the number one cause of tension-type headaches is TMJ disorders, and that bruxism I mentioned. The migraine, the overlap into migraine has been overly abundant. I cannot tell you how many migraine patients have resolved mm. uh, treating their TMJ and treating their sleep apnea. Mm. Uh, but even then, if they're wearing a daytime one, it's about function. So we need to put them in a job position that's natural, but also holds what we call centric relation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we do a neurological evaluation to find out, we call the motor reflex test, to find out if their jaw problem is what's called an ascending problem or a descending problem. So someone could have a collapsed ankle, a rotated pelvis, subluxated spine, and then they end up with a jaw problem. Mm-hmm. And other people can have a jaw problem that can lead to a subluxated spine, a rotated pelvis, 
and etc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, no, I, I like that. How you said that, you know, right? You know, it's like it's either way, right? Um, so either the you know jaw can create all this imbalance in the rest of the body, or the rest of the body can create imbalance in the jaw. I think that's yeah. I think that's an important point to bring up. Absolutely, and and then and then we get to the part of the cranium and our cerebrospinal fluid pump. Mm-hmm. So the maxilla, the upper jaw, articulates with eight pairs of bones and the vomer, like the septum of the nose. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at skulls prior to the Industrial Revolution, everyone had nice wide arches. Mm-hmm. They almost perfectly straight teeth. Mm-hmm. The the space behind the wisdom teeth was so vast they had room for another wisdom tooth, mm-hmm. and they had very big turbinate space and very small maxillary sinus space. Right. So we also know that they breastfed for three to five years. Oh wow! Or three hundred years ago, they didn't have processed food by and large. So we we see. You know, when we look obviously at uh, cadaver skulls prior to the Industrial Revolution, we don't see degenerative changes in the jaw that much. And it really kind of depends on how long the individual like lived. But we don't we don't see that much change in the bone. Like the average person, the average normal person, healthy person living in the United States, there's a seventy five percent chance that they have a jaw problem. Mm-hmm without even knowing it. And that could be clicking and popping, that could be arthritis, that could be jaw locking, it could be a host, it could be just pain, it could be a host of things. But it's, in modern man, that's considered much more uh, common and accepted. Um, of course, not in my book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, You know, not to, and I, I know you're getting there, but um, on the top of my mind, I have a you know, 21 month old daughter as we record this. And I, you know, yes. I'm watching all of her teeth come in and, you know, yeah. I'm just kind of seeing her, you know, jaw develop. And I'm just thinking, you know, because of um, what you're going to explain and all the importance of this, I'm thinking, you know, how can I really optimize that her, you know, jaw, you know, grows, um, you know, in the healthiest expression that it can for her and that, you know, I yeah. know you'll get into this, that she doesn't have like a narrowed upper, upper palate and, you know, all of that. So I, I'm just super curious if you've seen some patterns or insights to help um, children develop a healthy, uh, healthy job. Yeah, absolutely. There are things that we can do at this age as well. So, you know, obviously the, the breastfeeding would be amazing, but that is a very challenging thing for many, many people to be mm-hmm. able to breastfeed. Um, especially for that length of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have um, devices called myofunctional appliances, and they do have an infantile that develop the jaw, that develop the sucking pattern where the tongue goes on the roof of the mouth. Of course, we need to be sure that any tongue ties and lip ties are released. That's super important. She had, yeah, yeah. no, she, and I think that's such an important thing to bring up because um, when she was born, um you know, she actually had lost weight and we, um, we found out she had a lip and a tongue tie that we had a, 
um, that she got um, phrenectomy, um, I think at age three or four weeks old, and it made a huge difference right away in her latch and her ability to feed. And, you know, she was totally fine, but it was, it's just amazing how common I see that, um, that that's such a common thing now. And I feel like you know, I just want to, you know, for all the young moms out there who have young babies, just to know about this, because I think it can be um, often overlooked, um, you know, initially. And I, I just, it's amazing how many um, children have this now. So I, I'm glad you brought that up. Yes, absolutely. My son, the same. Yeah. My same. He had the tongue tie and we had to, more than once, we had to release it. Mm -hmm. So. Um, so I, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you, and, and I'm glad more and more people are looking. I was impressed. You know, we we had our son here locally, and mm -hmm. when and came up to him, I, I was very much on top of the nurse, make sure they weren't going to do any vaccine. And um, mm -hmm. when uh, she came and said, "Oh yeah, we uh, we has a tongue tie," I said, "He does." I said, "I'm so I'm so happy to hear that you guys are checking for tongue ties. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this, it's mm -hmm. protocol. It's absolutely protocol." Oh, wow. Mm. 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 Yeah. Um, so I derailed us, but I'm just thinking <laughs> yeah, about how, you know, how we can optimize, you know, um, you know, the, uh, the development, uh, you know, the natural development, you know, for our, yeah. for people of young children and obviously, um, addressing lip and tongue tie. And then have you all thought, and, you know, breastfeeding as long, um, as the mom can, and then, um, do you have any other strong opinions around bottles or pacifiers or, um, or other things um, that can, or even nu nutrition, right, that can help to really um, have that full expression of the job? Okay. Well, that's, that's, that's so many things to talk about. <laughs> Sure. I know. I just. I know. I didn't. I. I know we weren't yeah. going to talk about this, but I just. It's. Um. You know. I think it's important, right? I think that this is such a yeah. empowering place to be. That yes, we want to fix this, and we'll get into how to fix yeah. it. But if you have the opportunity to prevent, you know, I, I, I just want to give you the opportunity to share. I couldn't agree with you more. If we can prevent this, we will have a whole new world that's mm -hmm. better for our children. I couldn't agree with you more. Mm -hmm. So. Um, and so I guess we could start with the nutrition. Mm -hmm. As you know, the first year of life, um, close to 100% of the immune system is derived from the gut and the gut bacteria. So having the breast milk where they receive their daily dose of probiotics is, of course, very, very useful. For those that can't, you can actually get like a powdered goat milk, which is like 99% identical to human mm -hmm. breast, and you can put probiotics in there. Mm -hmm. You can support their gut nutrition and their immune system that way. Um, and because you're setting them up for life is really, really important. Um, something that's very interesting, um, when teeth start to break through, uh, a lot of, almost every parent has noticed that the child will start to get the runs after the, their, teeth, their teeth come in. And the reason for that we find is when the child is toothless, their oral flora is all aerobic. Mm. All the bacteria, right? Because there's no, it's all aerobic. Mm -hmm. As soon as one tooth starts to break through, create what's called a pocket, like a gum pocket. And the saliva can carry bacteria into this pocket where there is no oxygen. And the bacteria literally transform and become gram-negative 
anaerobic bacteria. Mm-hmm. And mouth swallows this and then develops the runs that first time. Okay. Now you would think, well, why would this be? Why would this happen? Well, uh, when we break down food, it is the gram-negative bacteria that's digesting the fiber when it's in the small intestine. Mm-hmm. So we need the gram-negative bacteria to process this, this kind of um, um, solid waste, right? So as we get older, um, of course, having a diet that's not processed, but that's at least blended and soft, as soon as the teeth come through, I'd like to encourage as much chewy food as possible, right? So maybe start off with some very steamed carrots, and you want to encourage that muscle activity of the jaw with chewing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Activity that develops the mandible downward and forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, we have appliances and we have what's called myofunctional therapy, where we can actually put it inside their mouth and they sort of chew on it, right? And when they chew on these little silicone bits, we encourage, it has little flaps in there that encourage the tongue to go on the roof of the mouth. Mm-hmm. And as the tongue that's free of tongue ties is allowed to reside on the palate when we swallow, we actually activate the cere- cerebrospinal fluid pump with each swallow and each breath. Mm-hmm. Make mm-hmm. sense? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for, for kids that are very fussy eaters and Having them chew on things is a bit of a challenge. They have like these little chew toys, and I'm not joking, they really are chew toys. They look like a little Y. Mm-hmm. You, you stick the V part of the Y over their what we call dental ridges, and you have them just chew on it. Mm-hmm. Clamp down, and it's fun for them. It helps with teething. It helps teeth push through the gums faster, and it helps develop the jaw muscles. Mm-hmm which most children don't have today because so much of our food is like so processed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there a resource to find those or um, to yeah. look that up? Myobrace, mm-hmm. Myobrace um, and what's called Myomunchie, particularly Myobrace. So they have so much information on it. I believe it's myobrace.com. They're an Australian based company. Um, and they supply, um, actually, Maya Munchie is an Australian paste company too, mm-hmm. but um, they supply a little, uh, these myofunctional appliances essentially from birth to, to senior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they explain a lot of this information. Mm-hmm. On my website, I talk about it as well tmjla.com or tmjconejo.com. Just go into the orthodontic heading and I talk about it. I'm not to the detail that I'd like to, but I, I still give the layperson as much information as I can, and they're always welcome to, to ask me anything. Um, but in, in that context, we want to develop the jaw. We want to encourage nasal breathing and nasal patency, and we want to encourage proper mandibular muscular development, mm-hmm. which includes the lips. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No swallow involves a huge cascade of muscles where the teeth come together, the lips pierce, the tongue goes on the roof of the mouth in a wave, and we pass saliva. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting, I just thought of this to share with you. 
So I used that test, that neurological test I was telling you about, the motor reflex test, um, to determine neurological origin. And one thing that came forward from the orthopedic surgeon, his name is John Beck, that came up with him and his partner came up with this neurological test. And one of the things he told us was the brain prioritizes itself as bite, then breathing, then orthopedic balance, right? So when he taught us that, the whole bite more than orthopedic balance part didn't surprise us because each tooth is over 1,500 nerves, and most of those nerves are proprioceptive to tell the brain where it is in space. So if you're getting 32 teeth or even 28 teeth, each of them with 1,500 nerves, that's way more sensation than your feet. <laughs> that's way more sensation than your spine. Mm-hmm. It's giving your brain on balance. But we couldn't understand why would the brain prioritize the bite over breathing. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can go several days, weeks without eating, but breathing, you really can't. And everything we know about neurology is hinged around survival. So in terms of survival, that didn't make sense to us. So we thought, well, is it because we need to eat to get glucose to the brain? No, no, because that uses ketones. We don't, we don't need glucose to the brain. So then we, we realized that one of the functions of swallowing is to let the brain know that the airway is clear to breathe. Right? We swallow two to 3,000 times a day. Mm-hmm. It's completely unconscious. It is a survival mechanism. We cannot get out of it, which is another reason why TMJ problems um, are so mistreated because if you have a chronic TMJ problem and you're swallowing your, you know, two to 3,000 times a day and your teeth are coming together, but your teeth are coming together in one the wrong position or your jaw is coming back together in the wrong position, then you're never gonna get a break, right? If you, if you sprained your ankle, you can lay off your feet. You can put your weight on the other foot, right? But when you have a jaw problem, you never get a break. So when we swallow, we put our teeth together, we pass saliva just a little bit, and we clear the airway. And then we get to give the signal to the brain that it's safe to breathe. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, I hadn't um, heard of that, but that makes yeah perfect sense the way you just explained it. Yeah, no, it took me years. I think I, I think about things all the time. Yeah. <laughs> my colleagues. I, I actually, uh, a few months ago, I had an epiphany on uh, how our brains work, which I, I don't know if you're into this kind of thing. Uh, I am, obviously, but you, you'll see how, how my brain works. Mm-hmm. So we know that the only, time, the only times we know that the brain makes plastic changes to itself, that means it literally changes the way it is up there, mm-hmm. right? It, all, it happens with chronic pain, and it happens with what we call PTSD, like a trauma, a conflict, a, whatever, you know, like I use New, New German medicine, it, it, whatever you want to use to describe PTSD, okay? Now, when we look at lower mammals, we see that they, uh, when it comes to eating, they just eat constantly, right? They eat, they're full. If they see some more food, they're going to just keep on eating because they don't know when the next meal is going to come, mm-hmm. right? Now, imagine humans pick up a lot of these lower mammalian traits, but then as we're eating, 
we eat something poisonous. And as humans, if we see our child pass before our eyes, our parent pass before our eyes, another loved one pass before our eyes, even an animal, a pet, uh, that is a PTSD. I don't care if you're a caveman or you're 2021, okay? That's a PTSD. And if that happens and that causes plastic changes, and someone else that you procreate a child with also had a similar experience, well, now you're creating a child from epigenetics to genetics that has a program in it to be careful of what you eat because it might be poison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. Mm-hmm. I, can, I can see how our brains have evolved from this pattern because I can see the way this neuroplasticity works. I find it absolutely, I'm always excited about neuroplasticity. I find the whole field absolutely amazing and riveting. Mm-hmm. It's really a, such an empowering way to look at the brain too, right? It's like there's this ho- whole opportunity for the brain to constantly evolve and repattern and rewire, right? Given the right, um, you know, tools, right? And the right information. All in the context of survival. It's absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you asked so many questions. So I know, I know. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know. This is the first time we're talking, and I, I could pick your brain, you know, um, all day because I think that the work that you do is so fascinating and so important. Well, and and if you want us to do another time where we go into more details yeah. about other aspects, I'm more than happy to. I do would so. love that. I would love that for sure. Well, we'll do a part B to this. I'd love to. So for part A, what can I continue <laughs> with that you like? Mm-hmm. Great. Well, I mean, I, I think I've, I've cut you off in the, you know, in the journey to try to um, share with us really the type of appliances that you, you work with with adults, right, to help improve their sleep. And so I know you work with ALF and some of our patients have um, had great success with ALF devices. And, um, you know, I, I think it's such a great tool. And I would love to introduce that right now and share that um, with people what it is, how it works and what you've seen with that. Oh, yeah, I'm so excited to talk with you about ALF. So ALF stands for Advanced Lightwire Functional. Um, It was invented by a man named Derek Nordstrom. Um, Derek is, he's obviously one of my mentors. Mm -hmm. Derek is, I don't mean to be facetious. I don't mean to sensationalize it because everyone wants to sensationalize their own field. I don't mean to do that at all. There's a lot of TMJ guys I work with that think that every single problem under the sun is caused by TMJ. And it's like, no, it's not. Okay. (laughs) It's a component, but it's not everything. Right. Mm -hmm. But with Derek, I really, I I need to say this with sincerity that he is a one in a billion Mm -hmm. type individual. There's maybe seven of him on the planet. Mm -hmm. He is a left brain genius, but also a right brain medical intuitive. Mm -hmm. And he came up with this ALF 37 years ago. Wow. I have to pause you for a moment. Um, So I um, have seen patients over the years um, in LA, and I used to work with um, Dr. Whitney out of an osteopathic office in um, Santa Monica. And I would go on the weekends and, you know, we will you know, uh, you know, we would see patients and then, uh, Dr. Nordstrom would, um, work with a group of osteopaths and, 
Um, they would all, it was, it was just this beautiful, you know, I didn't know them. I was young in my career. I didn't understand like, oh, that's Dr. Nordstrom, you know, and, uh -huh. you know, they were working on a patient and I saw like literally, you know, maybe four or five osteopaths working on one patient. And I just remember like looking at like, you know, it was, it was such a, I, I could tell whatever they were doing was like such amazing, powerful, impactful work. And then as I learned more about this, it was just you know, it was just a foreshadowing in my early career about um, about this. So as you talk about him, it's just really I, I have that impression and that vision, you know, um, immediately him working. And I think he had like a wine shirt on and, you know, very California. And, you know, it was um, it was just yeah. really fun to witness. Yeah, he's amazing. He is 100 percent egoless. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He had no ego at all. He is the nicest person I know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the advanced light wire functional. Um, when he invented it, he wanted a orthodontic appliance. He was using a Crozet at the time and he really felt it was a bit restricting. So then he, he added what's called an Omega loop to it. And he noticed that people were coming back and, you know, claiming, oh, my kid doesn't have ADD anymore. My kid, you know, listens to me. It's not defiant anymore. He doesn't snore anymore, etc. Today, I could I could give you 200 studies easily, if not more, that show that once you resolve, when a child has sleep apnea, any amount of sleep apnea, and ADD or hyperactivity or defiant syndrome, that once you resolve their apnea, either those that if you want to call it a disorder or symptoms, either totally resolves or is greatly improved, right? But we didn't know this back then, obviously, right? So he invented it and he was so excited, he wanted to like share with all his dental colleagues up in Hollister, but no one would, would pay him any attention. And, um, and they, were, they were quite cliquish up there. And his, uh, one of his patients had a regular osteopath and the osteopath was noting that ever since they've been wearing this ALF, that he's able to do a lot more things. So he went and he met with the osteopaths. Instead of dentists, he met with osteopaths. <laughs> and the osteopaths were so impressed by what he was able to do. And he was so impressed to learn how the maxilla, the cranium, the swallow, the breathing pattern, you know, and the posture itself is related so much to what they do. And so he would have he would he would have patients like the osteopath would say, you know what, I've been adjusting this patient now for six months. I cannot get this SI joint to resolve. Right? And he goes, okay. He goes, if I could get this part, let's say the premolar section of the maxilla pushed out this way, I could fix it. Right? He goes, oh, let me let me do that right now. So he would take the alpha out of the mouth make the adjustment, put it back in, and the guy would put his hand, he goes, it, it, you fix it, mm. you fix it, it's done. This person doesn't have a problem, you know? And so he was able to learn from these osteopaths the relationship between the rest of the body, and not just orthopedically, but like with organs and with fascia, how it's all connected. And so he went on, and again, he doesn't have a patent on the ALF. He has over a thousand inventions. He hasn't patented a single one. Um, he just went on to develop it into what it is now. So now there's a very, very few uh, number of us, we call it the loyal following, that will tr will use the ALF to help our patients. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Um, no, that's, it's beautiful. And it's, I'm so, um, thankful you share kind of that energy of Dr. Nordstrom and how this works and how, um, you know, how accessible, um, you know, he wanted to make this device. I mean, do you feel like, um, well, let me, um, let us just kind of, how do you work with a patient to really use, what does a treatment, um, process look like when you're working with a patient with, uh, ALF? With ALF, okay. So, well, you know, of course, we we do an evaluation. We find out what their goals are, what we're, what I think we're able to do with the ALF, and of course, we take the cone beam CT scans, and we can see what the airway and the structures look like, what the teeth look like, and then we then I design, I sit down and design the ALF, and then send it off to the to the lab. The lab makes it, we deliver it, and then we work with predominantly osteopaths, but also we work with um, craniosacral therapists, certain kinds of chiropractors that are more cranial based, like the sacral occipital people. Um, as long as they've got a strong uh, cranial background and they don't use heave-ho forces, you know, um, we use it. So I have usually an agenda of, of how I want to develop the arch is almost always I need to get transverse development and what's called sagittal, you know, forward and back development, like forward. Um, almost all my patients need a little bit of mandibular movement, like the jaw needs to come forward a little, on most of my patients. I do have, I actually started out in this ortho by being what's called the class three dentist. Like a class three is someone with an underbite where their lower jaw is ahead. And I started out by treating people who were told that the only way that they could fix their underbite was with orthognathic surgery. And uh, I actually wanted to be an oral surgeon at one time. I decided against it. Um, But I witnessed the orthognathic surgery and it's absolutely horrific. It's it's one of the, and I'm not someone that's gory. I'm not afraid of surgery. but if you've ever watched an oral surgeon perform orthognathic surgery, I don't know if you can find any videos online. It is one of the most savage things I've ever mm. seen in my life. Mm. And then to finish it off by bolting them down with metal bolts mm. on a system that's supposed to flex and have a give to it. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Mm. Uh, so where did I leave off? Uh, <laughs> Forgive me. I, yeah, I, oh, I, no, no, going back to, you know, this was a surgical option, right? Only. Right. And then, well, the, the, thank you. The class yeah. was a surgical option. So then um, we would start off with ALF therapy. We would develop the upper arch, release the tongue ties, release the nasal breathing that was blocked from the palpal expansion. Because you understand, the roof of the mouth is the floor of the nose. So when we're developing the maxilla, we get a reciprocal benefit in the floor of the nose in terms of size and breathing ability. So we would do that and what we found was we just changed the muscular habits of their jaw and their breathing because it's always a functional approach and they would go into what we call class one and they no longer needed conventional surgery. We would just finish them off with either braces or Invisalign. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah. What a better option. <laughs> now, I did I did what's called Damon passive self-ligation orthodontics for a number of years, at least a decade. Uh, but in the last uh, few years, 
my focus has been on more aligners, which is what Invisalign calls their trays, but we make them in-house. That way, nothing is outsourced to China. Everything is hypoallergenic. We can test the patient if they have any reaction to the material before we do it. Um, and, so, and so after the ALF, we can finish up the dental and the bite with the aligners, and that's very convenient. Most people love that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I, um, well, given, uh, and how long, I mean, how long does this process take? I guess I'm, I'm sure people are wondering that. Yeah. So in children, um, it, it depends on their rate of development. Some, sometimes and their age and their issue. So a lot of times these kids, sometimes all they need is myofunctional therapy or a myofunctional appliance to be worn either during the day or at night or both. And then an orthodontic interceptive phase can come later. Um, but in a child's, you know, as we tap into their growth, we can get tremendous amount of growth in a year or two, no problem. Uh, in adults, it's actually the opposite. We have the slower we go, the faster it comes along. Mm-hmm. Cannot go too fast on our on our, on our patients. So when we're doing um, in the adults, we're looking, usually a year is very, very typical, a year and a half if it's a more severe case or two. Mm-hmm. Got it. And then as you're opening up, um, you know, and just improving, um, you know, basically drainage, I mean, what kind of improvements do you see not only in sleep, but also the lymphatic drainage, you know, of the brain? Oh, absolutely. Well, you, they can actually report on just the post-nasal drip improvement right away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But as we're allowing, so if we had a cranial motion that's stuck in flexion or extension, the ALF can break it out of that pattern. And therefore, now as it's moving, now we can actually get more pumping of the CSF and get that lymphatic system really moving, mm-hmm. Just important. Now, but here's how it multiplies with the alpha effect is when someone puts their tongue on what's called the incisive papilla, which is, it's called the spot in myofunctional therapy. It's when we say the letter N as in Nancy, it's where the tip of the tongue goes. Uh-huh. And it's supposed to make like a wave on the roof of the mouth. The, we put the omega loop, the main omega loop of the alpha, we put over that spot. And just by having that spot there and having the patient place their tongue on it, we see a great calming of the autonomic nervous system. Mm -hmm. Now, remember I said earlier that the whole clenching happens basically because there's some kind of ANS disturbance? Mm -hmm. Well, when you have a home spot, you know, a home base for your tongue, and now your autonomic nervous system is more calm... And you're able to sleep through the night better without getting kicked out of deeper stages of sleep. Well, that's only going to feed your own body's ability to to repair itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then, yes. 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 And, and so we get this dual effect. So then, um, no, that's great. And um, it's such a... Um... You know, well, what I'm um, also wondering is, do you pair the, is the alpha alone able to get this cranial rhythm and this lymphatic system 
Um, working better, do you often pair the ALF with like craniosacral therapy or osteopathic work? I mean, have you do, do the combination in your practice? Oh, I'm all about the combination in my practice. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's got to be together. Mm -hmm. yeah. It can't be, you know, I, I don't want it to be just me. I, I you know, um, it takes a village, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I agree. I, I like to work with their functional doc. I like to work with their osteopath. I like to work with a cranial sacral person. Um, and like I said, a cranial focused chiropractor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, just, it just depends. Like, um, I, I've met so many cranial sacral therapists that are just insanely gifted, insanely sensitive, mm -hmm. feel what's going on and it's great. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is, is because an osteopath is also a physician, mm -hmm. that means they're going to have another level of understanding when they do those cranial adjustments. So, for example, if an osteopath is palpating and doing osteopathy and cranial manipulation, and as they're touching, they feel that something is going on with the kidney, mm -hmm. right? They can then say, you know what, this is a very typical pattern when someone has hypertension. We need to check your heart. We need to check your autonomic nervous system, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas someone who isn't a physician isn't going to have the kind of knowledge base that a, that a physician is going to have when detecting organ and fascia issues. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, just a higher, I'm, like a just yeah, just more in depth understanding and view of the body. Ab absolutely. So I don't I don't say this in any way derogatory mm -hmm. to a cranial sacral uh, therapist. But an, an osteopath, um, they, they have the cranial manipulation skills and they have the medical background as well. So with the ALF, um, I like to play. Uh, it plays this with the osteopath. So if the osteopath says, Dave, I need more support um, in, in, on the right side, I need a little bit more development here, I need a little bit more mandibular guidance, whatever it is, and then it it could even be something that they need me to just add a bit of composite on top of the teeth to get the jaw where they want it. Mm -hmm. So on, on them, I'll, uh, I'll, do, I'll, I'll guide them to what I need them to go. And as I'm moving the patient along, I'll say, you know what, I noticed that the wire wasn't expanding as well as I had been expecting these last few months it had. So can you, do, can you help me out here and get me a little bit more rotation with the maxilla? And they'll say, okay, <laughs> of course. And, and they don't necessarily work with the maxilla. They'll work with other parts of the body to make sure the maxilla goes where it needs to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I absolutely wholeheartedly believe in working with an osteopath. The first doctor, when we came out of the hospital, there was, thank God there was nothing wrong with my son. He was born perfectly healthy and mm -hmm. not, but still perfectly healthy. We had an amazing osteopath named Jorge Moreno come to our house and do his first osteopathic adjustment at home. Aww. It was delightful. Aww. Absolutely delightful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think that should be such an integrative part for not only mom and baby and birth, but all, you know, when uh, the baby comes out, I think that's just, um, yeah, it just um such a important part of the process and allowing um yeah just um our our children to have the fullest expression of their physicality right you know there's so many of these tools that i just um you know don't want to get i don't want them to be lost right you know it's just the 
the yeah. traditional osteopaths are so gifted and that knowledge is so important that, you know, I, I think it's just so important to keep that these traditions alive. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love them. I think they're amazing. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Shirazi, I've kind of taken you all over the place and I, you know, that's how my brain is working today and just, um, just really excited to connect with you. And, um, you know, I know that you're, you're doing such amazing, um, valuable work and, you know, I know we've shared some patients over the years and I, um, no, I am just so grateful for your time and I absolutely would love to have you, um, back and we can get into the, you know, nitty gritty and some of the details, um, you know, about, a lot of the things that you just introduced us to. And so if people are, you know, listening to us and, um, you know, first of all, wanting to see you, please share, you know, where you're at, your practice. And then if they um, don't live in Southern California, then, um, you know, how can they find a practitioner who does ALF? Okay. So, um, for most of my practice is in Thousand Oaks and in Brentwood. Um, and that they're both, you know, they're both suburbs of Los Angeles. And my website's TMJLA and TMJ Conejo. Um, with uh, the ALF, there is an ALF directory. And you can go, you can just type in ALF directory and uh, ALF interface. And you can actually just type in your zip code and find a, a local ALF practitioner. Mm-hmm. Great, great. Well, we'll put all of that in the show notes. And is there anything that you just want to share as we're wrapping up anything on your I, heart or your mind as we're closing the podcast today? Yes, I just want to give my sincere thanks to you, not just for today, which has been amazing. Thank you so much. But also for all these wonderful webinars you've been putting together with Dietrich and all these really smart people. And, and they're all just gravitated to you because, you know, you exude all this health and wisdom and you want to get it out there. And I just love that about you. Oh, thank you for saying that. No, this is the, you know, the really, I, I love this part of my work and just connecting with you know, pioneers and thought leaders like yourself and people who are doing just this amazing work. And, you know, my, my passion is, you know, just getting people better faster and education is such a piece of that. So thank you for saying that. And, um, no, I, I really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, and we'll just, um, um, share all the, um, information on how to find you today, Dr. Shirazi in the notes, and then we will absolutely have you back so people can learn more. Cause I, I think, um, yeah, this is just such an overlooked area and under, um, you know, underutilized um, part of medicine and dentistry that I just want people to know about. So thank you so much. Thank you. Welcome, everyone. I am so honored to have back Dr. David Shirazi. We had a wonderful conversation that I hopefully you've listened to. If not, please check that out in the podcast where we talked a lot about oral health and TMJ and orthodontics. And then towards the end of our conversation, I started picking Dr. Shirazi's brain about pediatrics, given my daughter being two and just seeing her oral health develop and or her facial bones develop. And I started picking his brain about this. And I just really wanted to do this topic justice and how we can uh, prevent some of the downstream effects of improper breathing and improper um, facial development so we can just have healthy, happy uh, people. So thank you so much for coming back, Dr. Shirazi. I really appreciate your time. You're such a wealth of knowledge. It is my sincere pleasure. You ask wonderful questions. I love your podcast. I love oh. the material you have from Dietrich. It's all great. Oh, thank you so much. Thank, thank you for doing what you do, really. 
Oh, thank you. Well, we're all in this together. And, you know, I know when we, you know, wanted to have this follow-up conversation, we were just talking about our our kids and how we can really optimize their oral facial development in this whole world of orthodontics. And before we started having this conversation today, you talked a lot about, you know, breathing because of the work that you do um, with evaluating, obviously, optimizing breath work and oral health. And so can you just share um, when we're thinking about the development of children and how we can really optimize their um, health in general, how do we look for signs and prevent what you would call mouth breathing and all the downstream you know, ramifications of what happens with just mouth breathing. Yes, thank you. So, well, to start off, uh, some of the consequences of mouth breathing uh, at an early age is what's called long face syndrome. You essentially adapt to just breathing through your mouth and your mouth has to posture wider and your muscles adapt to that, which then models the bone. So you get this long, what's called long narrow face syndrome and your uh, saliva dries up, which is a lot easier to get cavities because it's no longer a flow. Um, you're much more likely to get enlarged tonsils and adenoids because the way the air is rushing past them is not, it's no longer moistened and warm. It's just direct cold air, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, those are some of the, the consequences. Some of the things we can watch out for, like, I know it's really cute to watch, you know, our children snore, but mm -hmm. don't don't ignore it. It's not it's not a little deal. Um, snoring is a sign of uh, some kind of hypertrophy, be it in the soft palate or the adenoids or the tonsils or even just mouth breathing. That's one of the ways we we snore. And if they only do it occasionally, I would invite the parents to take a look at okay. What did they eat that day? You know, do they have a lot of dairy that day? Do they have a lot of wheat that day? You know, and, and be mindful of it. And if they did, mm, probably want to, you know, avoid that. If they, if they don't, if their diet, as you know, if, if they've had a food sensitivity panel and you're avoiding all those IgG food intolerances, then you can go forward and maybe put an air filter in the room to pick up any dander or anything like that. You may want to check to see if you have pets, if your child is allergic to pets. Um, just anything you can do to ensure that your child is breathing through their nose through the night. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's one of the most important times. And, um, and you're so wise and to share a lot about um, looking at food allergies as a, you know, trigger, um, you know, kiddos um, often, you know, they're very resilient and healthy. And so food allergies can be one of the first um, signs of any, um, you know, just dis dysfunction in their body. Like, um, you know, from my perspective with, you know, dairy, what you just said, that can um, really congest the lymphatic system. And I think about the tonsils and kind of the adenoids as part of the lymphatic system and kind of connected, right? to the gut, right? So this whole oral area is connected to the gut. So is there an inflammatory trigger, um, you know, causing them to mouth breathe? So I'm, I'm really glad um, you mentioned that. And that can be one of the first clues um, to looking at optimizing diet and um, the foundation for their health. So I, I think that's so great. And so, um, and you know, in our other conversation, Dr. Shirazi, you were talking about, you know, that you assessed um, sleep apnea in adults and you have a sleep lab in your clinic, which is amazing. Um, how do you um, take that next level of maybe 
um, trying to understand if there's any um, impairment in sleep with a child. Right. So once the child and the parents bring a prescription for a sleep study, either we can do the sleep study at home or in our lab or in another lab, whichever is convenient for the parents mm -hmm. and the child. Um, we're looking for a few things. So uh, there's two main kinds of apnea. One is obstructive. That's when we, you know, literally uh, our tongue, our soft palate closes off our breathing for 10 seconds or more, or is so shallow that it causes 3% of our oxygen to dip. And the other kind of apnea is called central sleep apnea, where our brain tells our body not to breathe. And from all I can decipher, the majority of the time, the reason why we do this is from mouth breathing. Mm. When we mouth breathe, we outgas too much and paddle CO2. We need to keep a certain level of carbon dioxide in our, in our blood and in our tissue. Um, we have, I don't know, hundreds of receptors for n CO2 and we have maybe two for oxygen. That should tell us something, right? And we have a very narrow band of optimum carbon dioxide. Um, if the carbon dioxide levels are not, they're usually we say between 40 and 45 or 38 and 45 millimeters mercury, then what can happen is the oxygen can't liberate out of the hemoglobin. So it stays bound in the oxygen. So it doesn't matter if you have 100% oxygen saturation. You're not getting access to that oxygen, mm -hmm. right? And so the mechanism the body has developed is to uh, shut off the breathing entirely. Just you, There's no effort at all. In obstructive, you can see an effort. You can measure an effort. In central, there's no effort. And once the person stops breathing and they're anti, because their metabolism is still carrying off. Once their CO2 levels have risen enough, then the body will restore breathing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's how we diagnose. So, so for me, it, it helps me determine like if they have central or obstructive or both, it lets me see, okay, is this child more of a mouth breather or a nasal breather? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, because yeah. if they're nasal breathing and they still have apnea, then I'm going to be looking for more obstruction in their tongue and their throat. If there's central sleep apnea, I'm going to be looking for obstruction more in the nose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. we make our recommendations on that. We go over their diet. Um, we, we see if they need what's called functional orthodontics. So, you know, the palate, as we talked about last time, is the floor of the nose, mm -hmm. right? And it articulates with eight pairs of bones and the septum of the nose. So when we develop the arch, when we develop the maxilla, we're actually increasing the footprint of the nose dramatically, logarithmically actually, way more than we're expanding the maxilla. Mm -hmm. And we want, and, in, and what we're also doing is we're taking this maxilla, if someone has a narrow passageway in their mouth breathing and they have a narrow arch, by expanding, we're not just expanding here, we're remodeling and bringing it down. So we're increasing the amount of tongue room so the person can swallow on the spot with the roof, with the tongue on the roof and the mouth. And we're, we're widening and lowering the, um, the nasal floor 
and the, the nasal sphingoid. So the septum, the vomer, starts at the maxilla and ends on the ethmoid bone. Okay? And when we look at prehistoric skulls, we see, by and large, we see perfectly straight septum. Hardly anybody had a deviated septum. Right? They had very big turbinate spaces and very small maxillary sinus. Mm -hmm. right? And we know that they breastfed, we assume, um, based on what we could find, that they breastfed for three to five years. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. And in doing so, in developing the, the, the tongue on the roof of the mouth and really getting it to, to widen, we, we widen it, we have nice wide turbinate space, and by dropping the maxilla, we now have more room vertically for the septum. Mm -hmm. But if we have a high arched maxilla, we have to kind of deviate it just so we can fit it in the same space. Mm -hmm. So in other words, the vast majority of the time, we are born with a perfect sized septum for our pet, right? And it's expected that we're going to be breastfeeding <laughs> for a substantial amount of time and expanding our palate and chewing our food. Like we're supposed to chew food pretty much as soon as we have teeth. And mm -hmm. it's the chewing, the masticating of food that develops the height in this direction of the jaw. Mm -hmm. Right? But going, but going back into uh, nasal breathing and having a flat, wide maxilla, this allows our nasal passage to be so much freer because it no longer has to cram itself in. And rather embarrassingly, not a dentist, but a physician out in um, Australia, I believe his name was Peter Sisuli, he expanded the palate of an adult with deviated septum. A physician expanded the palate of an adult and took before and after x-rays and corrected his deviated septum. Wow. Mm -hmm. And you would think that would motivate, you would think that would shame the orthodontic community <laughs> to do something about it. But, this, but, that, but that, is one, that is one area of academia that is recalcitrant to any kind of change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Such a great explanation. And we hear that um, term like thrown around all the time. Oh, I have a deviated septum. Oh, I have a deviated septum. And, you know, some of these people go into these horrific surgeries that, you know, the sinus surgeries that try to correct the deviated septum. And, you know, for some of the patients that I've seen, that can be a very, um, it's very hard to get that terrain reestablished once it's surgically operated on. And so I know we touched yeah. on that last time, you know, but, um, you know, going back to kind of this like facial development, that was really um, a wonderful explanation. And here we are recording this in 2020. And I don't really know any child who's been breastfed, you know, three to five years, you know, maybe may, <laughs> may like here and there, you know, usually if there's like a mom who's really, you know, passionate and has right. the time to effort and energy, crunchy maybe like, mom, right, yeah. crunchy mom, like maybe two, you know, age two, like, but the, like three yeah. to five is very uncommon. So um, I guess, so with that being said, um, I have a lot of questions, but I'll stop at this point. So let's say moms are listening, they have a young child, you know, under five, you know, maybe let's say um, in the two to three to four year range, is there any way to like, I mean, we know that we can't replace nature. We've, we've always tried. Right, no, I, I understand. How, yeah, how can we optimize um, that yeah, development? Uh, 
We can. And before I, I, I tell you how, I, I really want to make a point. Um, by mentioning that the optimum is three to five years, and, and like my wife did it for nearly two years, right? Mm -hmm. uh, she didn't work. She's a pharmacist, but she didn't work well in the first two years. So yeah. it was much more manageable for her. Not everyone has that luxury, right? right? And in no way do I want anybody to uh, feel less than if they weren't yourself included, if <laughs> if they weren't able to breastfeed even a month, if if you just couldn't yeah. do it, you just couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I have close family friends who could not. They had a an infection behind their nipple, yeah. and they were told you can't breastfeed. Mm -hmm. So she was the first child. She breastfed for three months, and they told her don't even bother with the second. Mm -hmm. You know, she had horrible guilt over it, but. It's like we all have to make do with the reality that we're in. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a great so, point. You know, moms have guilt over so many things. So I think. Of so course, many things. Yeah. And so they're doing such a good job. And they're so hard on themselves. I know. Don't yeah. be so hard on yourself. <laughs> you created a baby, right? You know, it's like. You that's created it. a baby. You walked around with a six to nine months. Hold it out of you. I know, right? So that alone, just feel good about that, right? And of course, we don't want anyone to feel shamed or blamed. I'm just no. like, solution-oriented, so I'm just super curious, you know, given the reality that that's just not our reality in modern life. Mo yeah, modern, modern life. Yeah. Modern life, indeed. So we, we actually do have what's called uh, myofunctional appliances. Mm -hmm. um, one, it's like a little, if you will, a little chew toy. Oh, nice. One that, one that we can, and there's silicone one that you can put in and they can like chew in this direction, but one that you can make that, that or a dentist can make that's semi-moldable mm -hmm. and we can open it a little bit. We can activate it a little bit. So every time you come in, we just kind of make it a little bit wider. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, that works great. It's very simple. Um, it's not toxic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, just very easy. It's, it is effort. It is effort to get the child to use it and to explain to the parents what it's like. Um, it looks very, very simple. Like, oh, they're just, I'm just wearing a mouth guard. And my kid's just wearing a night guard. It's yeah. a lot easier said than done. It, it right. takes practice. It takes perseverance. Um, I'm all about uh, positive reinforcement when they wear it. Um, yeah. You're best to avoid negative reinforcement once you be known, although that's hard. Um, I admit. Um, but yeah, you, you can actually have, you know, a pedodontist or a functional orthodontist like myself make something inside the mouth to kind of make it wider mm -hmm. and develop the height for that matter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are pacifiers working against this process or are they? Well, they largely did. Mm -hmm. Largely pacifiers, they did. Um, and that was because they were so hard so what they did was, so you understand, like the purpose of the human nipple is to go inside the mouth mm -hmm. and the baby to pinch off the base of the nipple mm -hmm. with the tip of their tongue and squeeze the milk out from the palate. And mm -hmm. that's how they learn how to swallow the correct way. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, mm -hmm. unfortunately, with these hard nipples, it just held the tongue down. Right. And then in order to suck from this very hard nipple, they had to use their cheek muscles and go like this. Yeah. 
which mm -hmm. had the reverse function. It, had, it narrows the arch when you use your buccinators from that, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they do make um, uh, nipples that uh, are very, very soft and collapsible. Mm -hmm. uh, are very thin silicone and that they're they're kind of it's very interesting when you look at uh if you have you ever did you breastfeed at all mm -hmm. yeah until about like so, 16 months mm -hmm. six months so 16 do you yeah. ever recall what your nipple looked like after suckling i do it has a <laughs> it has a distinct shape doesn't it right yeah, yeah. so they make pacifiers in that shape yeah 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 Mm -hmm. And they're very soft, and, and those those seem to be working okay. Mm -hmm. um, and some children um, need it to sleep. Like, they have a very hard time or can't sleep without it. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Sleep is so important, uh, you know. Mm -hmm. we, 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 we stubbornly um, went without the pacifier, and our son had horrific sleep the first two years. And we, therefore, we had horrific sleep for the first <laughs> year. Um, and I look back and I go, that was probably a mistake. I wish I, <laughs> I, wish I gave him the back um, yeah. just to help with the sleep. Yeah, Anne-Marie loves her binky, you know, so we still yeah. have a binky. Um, but some children don't take to it, you know, so. Um, yeah. But yeah, so, okay, so then we have this kind of na natural process, and then there are some, you know, uh, functional orthodontists um, like yourself that can create devices to help naturally expand that upper palate to make room for the, you know, um, for the sinuses to be open and not have a deviated septum. And so um, I guess where, like at what age, if a parent is listening and wants to be super proactive, and let's say their kid's already like five or so, at what mm -hmm. age can we start um, looking at, okay, maybe this didn't happen optimally, or, you know, how can we like correct, um, you know, I guess, what age do you look at correcting maybe something that you, you see that hasn't really fully developed? Excellent question. So it, it's always the sooner the, the better, but we don't want to frighten people to think that, oh, my kid is 10 or 12 and it's too late. That's not the case. Right. right. But, you know, to get into someone that can just do an assessment and see what's normal for the child. Um, there's a, a, a test with crackers where you give the child some, some crackers and before they swallow, you ask them to stick out their tongue uh -huh. so you can see where on the tongue the cracker is. Oh. That uh -huh. tells us how they're chewing and where yeah. they're placing their tongue during the chew. Mm -hmm. nice. Right? So mm -hmm. there are things that we can do to observe and see what the child is doing. And, and of course, you know, as soon as the teeth come in, which is about six months, that's when you want to go to the dentist for the first time and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Is it coming in at the right pace, at the right frequency, and the right staging? Mm-hmm. 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 Um, and then I guess, where, how does the, um, we talked a little bit about this, but just for people might um, be catching, you know, just this segment and then thinking about um, their children's health and um, orthodontics. And, you know, there's definitely different approaches to orthodontics, but there's a whole system that helps to optimize and expand the upper palate. We talked about um, the ALF. Can you just remind people what that is and how this all integrates? Yes. So the ALF is a brilliant invention designed by 
an extremely brilliant and, and special individual about 37 years ago. And it's a, it's a, it stands for advanced, advanced light wire functional. It's a wire that kind of hugs the teeth on the inside, so it's very hard to see. And it has a series of loops in it, and the main loop goes over the area where we want the person to start to swallow. Mm -hmm. Right? So one of its main functions is to be a myofunctional appliance. So you know how you get a hair in your mouth and you go nuts until you get the hair out? Mm -hmm. Well, by having that little metal over what's called the incisive papilla, you, your body wants to con it's curious. Why is that there? Why is it there? Is it still there? <laughs> mm -hmm. It constantly keeps the tongue there in order to kind of like pay attention to it. And, and then from there, you can teach the person to swallow in the correct manner. Um, from there, we can activate it, which means we either expand or bring forward, whatever the challenge. Usually people need both by my um, anecdotal observation. Um, and we just get the person where they need to be. And then height-wise, we can, we can do that any number of ways. It just depends. Mm -hmm. like in, what I mean by height is uh, the height of the jaw and if they have an underbite, being they're bringing their jaw forward so that it's mm -hmm. no longer, uh, I'm sorry, an overbite. An mm -hmm. underbite, we have a different protocol, actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. how actually, I, to be honest, that's how I got into all this was I was doing orthodontics and a bunch of kids came in. My mom's a dentist. Um, I'm actually at her office today. Um, and a bunch of people brought their kids. They were like 15, and they had the underbite. And they went to three orthodontists, and all three of them said, oh, we need to do surgery. There's no other way. And, you know, I'm like a year out of school, and I'm like, yeah, sure, we could do it without surgery, right? Mm -hmm. And we ended up doing it, and I'm sure these white hairs, they, I don't know if you can see them, they, they came from my first few patients, but mm -hmm. it was immensely satisfying to not only change their profile, their self-esteem, change their airway, change the way their jaw functions up here, um, and like we mentioned before, to just avoid that horrible jaw surgery. They have, it's called double jaw surgery or MMA surgery, um, where they break the maxilla, reposition it, break the jaw, reposition it, and then bolt it down. It's, it's pretty gnarly, I have to admit. Yeah, yeah. No, my heart goes out to people who feel like that's their, you know, only, or who have felt that that's their only option. And, or they know. have done it. They yeah. have done it. Because if you don't address the functional reason why they um, they had the problem to begin with, it is possible that the problem can come back. Mm -hmm. There are, it's, it's, it's not that rare for someone to have that horrific, profound surgery a second time for the same reason as they did the first. Mm -hmm. it, it, it happens. Um, yeah. And I was actually at a conference where an oral surgeon was speaking about it. And I don't know if you've heard of Joy Moeller, but she's probably one of the most famous uh, myofunctional therapists in my area. And she stood up to ask a question. She just said, did anyone look at their habits? <laughs> did anyone look at their breathing or their swallowing habits? And I mean, 
it was a panel of, of dentists and surgeons and they're just kind of like looking at each other like um yeah no <laughs> we never did. and it was like all of us sitting around her were just laughing like yeah i don't think they did either oh my god oh my gosh yeah i know going to such a drastic you know um intervention before looking at all the things you've just shared um well dr shirazi um i mean people are probably like thinking oh my gosh i want my children to do whatever you're saying or find a dentist who understands this i mean are do you feel like you have um a wide network of colleagues and or do you feel like this is still like you know like many things in the alternative um medical world that it's still you know, just these pockets and niches and the word still has to get out. How, how, how many people are trained in looking at this at this point? So the number of people trained in, in looking for it is definitely on the rise. It's definitely growing. Um, mm -hmm. The amount of ALF practitioners is still very, very, very small. Very, yeah. very, I think maybe, maybe uh, a thousand practitioners on the planet. Wow. So it's a pretty wow. small, and there's like 250,000 dentists just in the U.S. So wow. a thousand of us doing it is a pretty, pretty low number. Mm -hmm. um, there is a website called ALF Resources. I think it's mm -hmm. .net, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. And we've got a list of uh, all the ALF practitioners, and you can look it up. Um, in terms of like a more uh, comprehensive functional approach for TMJ and and sleep disorders in adults. Um, you can go to TMJ Therapy Center, C-E-N-T-R-E.com, and there's a list. There's there's 65 centers throughout the world that have that sort of our philosophy. Mm -hmm. And you know, locally, my my website TMJLA and TMJ Conejo. It's pretty easy to remember. Yeah. Um, TMJLA is probably going to be the easiest one for Los Angeles. Like it's going to be the easiest one mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. remember. Um, but yeah, there it, it's 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 growing. But we're still. I mean, 20 years ago when I became a dentist, I was shocked and appalled at the gross ignorance and lack of motivation to grow and change by the orthodontic uh, academic community, okay? Mm -hmm. And two years ago, they came out with what they call their white paper, which is a nice way of saying clean slate, right? <laughs> and it was on, the title was amazing. It was on airway and orthodontic, right? And mm -hmm. you're thinking, oh God, finally, finally they've come and see the light, right? <laughs> and, and they managed, it was so embarrassing they managed to include airway in almost every wrong way you can possibly imagine it to be addressed in orthodontics. Mm. Like, they, like they showed um, a CT scan and they would show the airway on a CT scan and they would say, oh, look how small the airway is. I'm sure this kid has sleep apnea, oh my God. And it's like, well, maybe that's a small airway to begin with, mm -hmm. but sleep apnea is a neuromuscular disorder or it's a central disorder. So mm -hmm. that x-ray is not showing what the kid is doing, sleeping on their back in the middle mm -hmm. of the night, mm -hmm. okay? Let mm -hmm. alone how many times an hour they're doing it, right? right. So th there's still a lot of progress to be made, a lot 
<laughs> progress. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm, I am finding more and more orthodontists that are open to learning new things and accepting the, the research. The older ones, you know, you know, God helps us all. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I am finding more and more people that I consider part of my tribe and people that I, I value and, and, I, and, and I respect what they do. Mm -hmm. Well, no, that's encouraging. And I know it's like this mixed bag, right? The, the frustration still, you know, with just knowing what you know and wanting, you know, of course, that uh, knowledge to be, you know, everywhere. But that's, you know, hopefully with, you know, this um, conversation and all the efforts and work that you're doing, you know, this, the, there will be a tipping point. I mean, we feel the same way with, you know, our work as well. And, but there is, you know, I, I do yeah. feel like, um, you know, where here we are again, you know, um, a couple months after we recorded the first part, but we're in the throes of, you know, this, um, you know, COVID-19 situation. And, you know, I think um, there is, even though this is horrific on so many layers and so many, um, you know, we all have all, all of our opinions. There's also underneath this, I think there's this potential for, you know, a new, um, you know, transformation in our healthcare system to occur, you know, um, and so we have to hold to that, you know, optimism. And, you know, we, we touched yeah. on before, you know, we were chatting again that, you know, with this completely stressful, you know, unprecedented time, you know, there's a lot of stress in every person's, you know, body and household and environment. And you yeah. know, we can't escape this chronic stress that we're in because we're just in yeah. such an unknown and uncertain time. Um, so that translates into our bodies in so many ways. And a lot of people carry stress in their jaw. Um, and so can you just maybe share some of your thoughts and tips on how we can support people, maybe um, navigate the stress and maybe, you know, connect with their jaw and how we can maybe, um, yeah, find some, you know, um, peace and some relaxation techniques to help, um, you know, even for some moments before this, um, you know, just some tools to navigate this time. Yeah, it, it, it is a challenging time right now, but I will say this, the blessing of the challenging time when we look at it historically is that some of the ugliness in the world, if not all of it, needs to be brought to the surface before it can change. Mm -hmm. It's been so far pushed down in our subconscious. It's been pushed down into the alleys and not, not addressed. And, so, and now a lot of things are coming to light. A lot of things are coming to light. Mm -hmm. And it's ugly and it's painful and it's difficult. Um, but sometimes it reveals the problem that we never dealt with before. So I, I do appreciate the blessings in it. I've definitely observed different colleagues and friends responding to it. Mm -hmm. in in ways that surprised me mm -hmm. and really for me showed me the difference between forgive me for being egotistical but a real doctor mm -hmm. versus someone that just kind of like just goes with someone who thinks for themselves who can actually look at two sides of an argument and go well there is truth to this and there's truth to that mm -hmm. and then can say okay well let's put that together and find common ground right? Mm -hmm. I'm finding a lot less than I thought <laughs> I had before. Um, so the biggest thing I can give, you know, about clenching, obviously, to me, the most important thing about clenching is having an appliance in your mouth to shut off your ability to clench 50 to 100%. That to me mm -hmm. is the most important thing because we will clench our teeth for any reason you can think of. Mm -hmm. Anything that disrupts the autonomic, autonomic nervous system, will make us clench our teeth. 
right? So if we get disturbances in our sleep, like snoring, we'll clench. Our mouth is open, we'll clench. If um, we have a gluten intolerance and then we have a slice of pizza and we go to bed, we're going to clench, mm-hmm. right? Someone cuts us off on, our freeway, uh, on the freeway or we see something horrible. I don't recommend watching MSN, by the way. Just the, the mainstream news, just avoid the news at all costs <laughs> okay and if you must watch the news go look at it online so you can look at text bulletin points mm-hmm. um to go on television or cable and watch just negativity after negativity really does nobody any good whatsoever okay so mm-hmm. just avoid that uh second uh one one of my teachers is Eckhart Tolle and mm-hmm. he his his whole ethos is about the power of now, mm-hmm. being in the moment. And one of his meditations is on feeling the gratitude of all that you have and all that is working in mm-hmm. the now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, anxiety often comes from uh, what is the future going to be like? Mm-hmm. Okay. Some may argue that all of anxiety is, what is the future going to be like? And it's uncertain times right now, right? Mm -hmm. So when we focus on the now and also the breathing, uh, by slowing our breathing, we are actually telling our autonomic nervous system we're not in danger, Mm -hmm. right? When we're in fight or flight, we're breathing heavier. We're we're priming our muscles, getting ready to like, you know, run away or fight or, or do whatever we need to do to survive. When we consciously stop and just focus on, make sure you're breathing in and out through the nose. I'm, I'm very much for a two to one breathing, which is for every, let's say, uh, four seconds of inhale, you do eight seconds of exhale. Everyone's gonna have their own sort of number, 10 and five, six and three, whatever works for you. But breathing at a very nice, slow, steady rate, and don't and don't make it forced. Make it whatever is natural for you, right? Mm-hmm. And then once you find out what your natural slow exhalation is like, make your inhalation match that at half the rate. Okay. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like like we talked about earlier about about entitled CO two. When we nasal breathe slowly in and out, we increase our entitled CO two to the normal level, which then switches our autonomic nervous system into parasympathetic Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and lets our nervous system know, and I'm I'm anthropomorphizing, Mm -hmm. it lets our autonomic nervous system know we're okay right now. Mm -hmm. We're not in fight or flight. We're in rest and restore. Okay. And while we're in the rest and restore, we think about all the things that we're grateful for. It's like, oh, I got I'm sitting up on that bed right now. It's so comfy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about how wonderful my son is and how funny he is. He's so funny. He's so naturally funny. <laughs> and I'm so grateful that my patient's pain broke. It really made my day. I couldn't, I couldn't stop thinking about it all day. It was great. I think I'm going to own this one for a long time. It was great. Mm-hmm. And you do that until just, sleep just happens naturally mm-hmm. and when you do you're kind of putting those thoughts into your dream state mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and 
it's a lovely sleep. No, I think that's such an important um, point and that's a really empowering point too, because I think, again, when we're in this time and, you know, everything around us that it can seem, you know, is trying to get us in the, uh, the opposite state that you just, you know, wanted to induce, right? And so, um, but we do we have really our tools and, you know, I think um, I love, you know, gratitude um, as an energy and a practice because it um, immediately shifts how you're feeling, you know, when you think about people you love or the people that you um, or helping or the beauty of nature and the miracle of life, you know, it's a completely different energy than the energy of, you know, fear, anxiety, and, you know, all of the things that, you know, we're, we're trying to navigate right now. So no, I, I think that's a beautiful, um, you know, beautiful insight. And I, I'm, you know, I love Eckhart Tolle's work as well. I think that's a really great, um, you know, inspiration. And so, um, well, Dr. Shirazi, I mean, I, I know we could talk all day and I just love your work and your, you know, just your presence and your sincerity. And I know that you're like so highly skilled and have so much of an amazing, um, you know, um, you have so much of an amazing training and background and, you know, what you've done with all of that is really, really um, wonderful. So um, can you just share again how people can find out more about your clinics and um, if they wanted to work with you, where would they find you? Well, thank you for asking, and, and I really love you, and mm -hmm. I love what you're doing, and, and the, you're really bringing a lot of peace in the world by mm -hmm. uh, empowering people to take over their own health, to make better decisions for themselves, to just say, yeah, I know you've been to a million doctors, and they all said the same thing. Maybe they're not all right. <laughs> <laughs> I've said, my mom, as I told you, my mom's a dentist, and yeah. she's in that generation where you just believe whatever the doctor tells you. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've and I've said to her before, maybe he doesn't know everything. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. You know? And and it, and it's that sort of thing. Um so our website, um, they both go to the same, you know, landing spot. So but TMJ LA, like Tom Mary Jones LA dot com is the easiest way to find it. Uh find both our offices, one's in Thousand Oaks, one's in Brentwood. Um, our phone number is on there. Our, um, you can email us. There's just so many ways you can get a hold of us. Mm -hmm. And you can come and see us. Awesome. <laughs> and well, if we can be of service, I, we'd, love to, we'd love to be. Thank you. Well, I hope pe more people continue to find you and your work. And thank you for, you know, educating our community and, you know, your time. And it was really a joy to have, you know, you do both of these segments. So thank you so much. It was my sincere pleasure. Thank you so much.